and welcome to episode two of Letters from a Contrarian. Today's guest is Steve Paglissini. Steve and I met in the summer of 2018 when he and his business partner, Hussam Al-Ramini, ran a co-working firm in Calgary. They also had an unpaid marketing internship for which I applied. The internship got cut short, however, because I was moving to France to study abroad, but that internship opened the door for jobs I'm currently applying for in content marketing. We had to cut the podcast short because my computer was dying, but since Steve's such a great guy to talk with, he agreed to do a part two podcast soon. So make sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss it. Other than that, uh, just a bit more background information. Steve and Hussam both graduated from McGill uh, as engineers. After they graduated from there, they both ended up in Calgary, where they worked as engineers for a while, and then they decided to move into entrepreneurship and marketing, as the podcast will explore further. And both of them were great bosses. They were great uh, entrepreneurs, and they are both very resilient. And a couple months after I left from the internship, Hussam's visa actually ended, and he was... He had to leave to go back to Jordan, where he's from. Uh, but Steve ended up helping him come back. And now Steve's a full-time immigration consultant. So it's good to know when you are listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Steve Paolosini. We are, I think we're recording now. Okay. Hello, Steve. Hi, Eugene. How's it going? <laughs> good. How are you? So, <laughs> as if we weren't talking before, <laughs> it's great. Man. This is gonna be an awesome. This is gonna be an awesome episode. And you know what usually happens? Looking forward to it. What usually happens is like before and after I press record, the best stuff gets produced, and then I think, damn, I should have recorded that. So, a good thing I started exactly. this as soon as possible. Right on. Okay. Yeah. So we were just talking about how you had traffic tickets in the background, and and. If and I follow you on Instagram and I see your little videos about how the police are terrible for giving you traffic tickets. Uh, what's going on there? Why don't you like traffic tickets? Truly a contrarian. I, I just don't like traffic tickets in the midst of COVID. And this is, I got these two photo radars in my mailbox the Friday before the long weekend. How do you think that felt, you know? And they were on the same avenue, so obviously I'm not learning my lesson. Yeah. One's at 14th street. One's at fourth. I mean, I wasn't going that much over like 65 and a 50, like, you know, borderline. Um, it's, it's a new habit. It's a new routine. Sometimes I get these tickets and they just make me mad because they're just a, an excuse to collect taxes, but I know that they do keep us safe too. So I, yeah, I remember at one time I went through the logic in my head. I was like, it's so dumb because, you know, you can just speed on the roads. And then when you get to the intersections, you just have to slow down because that's where the photo radar is. But that's also where all the accidents happen at intersections. So it's right. logical that you want people to slow down um, at intersections. I just didn't know those were monitored. And one of them was at like 6.15 in the morning. I was heading to work to do a webinar to India. That's exactly why that happened. So... Yeah. So, um, but you keep getting them over and over again. That's why I'm looking at getting a truck right now. A truck will slow me down. Okay. A car is just too fast. It's easy to speed in a car. With a truck, you've got more to look after. You've got a, a bed. You know, you've got um, – I always just feel – you feel higher in a truck and you just feel like you're driving a big rig. You accelerate a bit slower, you know, uh, brake a little bit more carefully. When you've got a car and it's a standard transmission, it's just sometimes it can get away from you, I think. It can be a little fun. I think you know? the, the standard transmission adds to that for sure. Just the, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's for sure. Um, okay, so, so the last time, oh, I should introduce you to people. No, I'll do that in the beginning. I'll record a little blurb and then I'll say, Steve was my former boss. Right on. Blah, blah, blah. And then we'll fill in. But so you're. For a matter of like <laughs> two weeks, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> still, still. Um, so, so it's been a, about a year since we last spoke. And then a year before yes. that was when you were my boss. Uh, and then on Facebook, you let me know that you've 
you've stopped drinking and apparently you have all of these health benefits, right? And so, yes. So what are you up to these days? What are you doing? It's a great question. Um, and I, and I don't want to ramble cause I have the tendency to ramble. So just cut me off. Okay. okay. Um, I could, cause it, it can be, it can be a five day story, uh, and it can be a five minute synopsis or a, you know, even a one minute synopsis, but, um, yeah, basically, uh, it's now, it's now been almost 10 months since I've had a drink. I decided to quit because 2019 was just a really challenging year. As you know, um, you know, Hussam and I had been in the entrepreneurship journey with Hussle for about two years at that point. And then there was, and, and the audience wouldn't know this, but, uh, his immigration challenges mm-hmm. and, uh, struggling to keep him in the country and then him getting deported. There was a lot of fear and uncertainty and challenging times. And I just was, was consuming a lot of alcohol just kind of to, to numb these things. And, uh, so I just decided on, uh, what was it? July 23rd, July 22nd, I decided that that was going to be my last day of drinking. That was in 2019. And then ever since then, I've just, uh, you know, gotten a lot more clear on things on my mission. I've realized, you know, that I, I did consume quite a bit of alcohol. And the reason I did was triggered by reading, you know, your new podcast. And I was like, it's because I, I don't feel like I fit in and, um, you know, I'm, I'm different and, and alcohol was always a way for me to kind of numb that, uh, feeling the insecurity of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, being different. Um, but yeah, so, and, and, and helping bring Hussam back to the country actually really inspired me to go down this path of business immigration. So I'm actually doing that like full time now with, uh, a leading Western Canadian immigration firm. Um, I was given a position as vice president. Uh, we're, you know, figuring out ways to diversify hospital. Obviously we had to shut it down amidst COVID. Um, and Hussam is pursuing one of his passions, which has always been a media company. So yes, a lot of changes. Um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, obviously some health changes too. I lost about 25 pounds, not wow. drinking, I was supplementing it with some workouts because I needed something to take the stress off and I had a personal trainer and everything and then COVID happened, you know, and now I'm just trying to get back into it and I, I bought myself a fixie. So I got, I got a bike and well, I got three bikes now. So I, I get back into cycling and, um, yeah, as you, yeah, as you so. nonchalantly show off your little helmet in the back, wait, but you're <laughs> inside, but that's what you're, you're getting back into biking. That's good. No COVID. It's really I think the worst part or the, the fear and the thing I'm most afraid of is that this is the new permanent where people will not be getting back into work. I don't think they, even if all of the restrictions were to be lifted off tomorrow, I don't know what it's like in Alberta, but here in BC, we're starting to slowly dethaw. Um, I don't think the economy will go back to usual. And I think as well that people will still be expected to social distance from each other and it won't be back to business. So the stuff that we start doing now is probably going to last um, in the form of habits and, and, and jobs and things like that, uh, which is really worrying because half of my time I just spend in bed on TikTok. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a really bad habit. <laughs> I you know? went through that phase six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so now you're, you're in business immigration. Yes. And but I did want to mention on your last point there, I t- if you ever want to go down this rabbit hole, I completely agree with you. I don't think things are going to go back. I think we're going to have this new new normal that they talk about all the time. I just got a TikTok notification <laughs> on my phone. So uh, so, yeah. um, I, I think it's just like what happened after, after 9-11. Like security never – they never said, hey, we're eventually going to let you bring liquids back on a plane. <laughs> like, yeah. It just never went back to the way things were. So I think you're totally right. And we can talk about that later or off the record. Um, as you were saying, yes, I'm now working in business immigration. Oh, and uh, so Hussam, <laughs> yeah, <another question. laughs> Hussam was, well, he was also my boss. You two were, you went to McGill Engineering together and then you graduated. Yes. And then you moved to Calgary together uh, and then you started Hustle Co. Together's 
not quite together. Hussam was here first, okay, working at a company, and then he about three months later got me into a job at that company, and it's amazing because I was searching for jobs in Ontario. I had a girlfriend out east, and uh, and I just couldn't. I went through like multiple interviews, and like no one was hiring me. They're just. It was like garbage, you know? And then I did a Skype interview to these guys in Alberta and it was like I had an offer in my inbox that night. They flew me out a week later. It was like they meant business. I was like, this is what makes Alberta, Alberta. Uh, It's a place you can go to make, or the West in general, you know, just, you know, BC, Alberta. It's a lot different than Ontario and Quebec, more established, hierarchical kind of, you know, garbage like that it's a very merit-based society and about hard work and yeah so it came out and uh yeah we were working at the same company and then what what made you decide screw this i'm gonna go start my own company i don't know if it'll work don't know if it won't and how do you transfer from engineering to entrepreneurship um it was it was it was uh i you know i had started a master's degree um, really? Hussam had a full ride. Yeah, Hussam had a full ride master's in engineering scholarship. I had a, I think a forty thousand dollar a year stipend. Like, I was working in research. I was, I was in, I was in masters for like four months, and I was like, I cannot handle this. Yeah. Um, I kind of fell into it because there was no other option at the time. But it was yeah. just kind of like, oh, I couldn't find a job. Oh, this. Oh, I guess I'll just do research because I was good at it. My prof liked me. I liked my prof. And I brought a different aspect to a, a more applied industrial approach to research. Like I, I would help fix up the lab and build tools that were useful for the – I was working in a laser lab. And, uh, and then I failed my first course of master's because I didn't go to the class. I hated it. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I was working on – biomedical like stents, but uh, basically bioadsorbable. So they would get absorbed into the bloodstream after like three years, laser machining those. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. I felt like I was like dying there. You know, I was in the lab on my own. I was like, I'm a people person. I love people. I'm an extrovert. I need to be in industry. I need to be in sales, you know? So then Hussam got me that job as marketing manager. Where? Um, at uh, Virtual Materials Group, which was uh, oil and gas software company. Okay. And at first I was like, I'm not working as a marketing manager. I was like, I knew nothing about marketing. But then I went in there and Hussam and I were working together. We were doing well. You know, we worked on in student government together. Um, and uh, But then, of course, we had like the VP of corporate sales that was like, don't do that. You can't do that. Like, just like really buy the the book. book. And, um, there was a a fight one time at the office, not a fight fight, but Hussam could describe it a little bit better, but I heard him like shouting. (laughs) It's like, I I don't know if I'm going too off topic here, but it was, we, you know, and, uh, and then I said, you know what? I can't do this. And basically we were there and we're like, is this it? Is this all that we're meant to do? Um, you know, work for okay salaries at this company and be like all these people there. They were all married and older than us. And it was not a happy place. And then we said, you know what? We're really good at the marketing stuff. We're using LinkedIn on like these other silly companies and this and that. Why don't we start Quadriple, which is our marketing company that targets just, um, just engineering just engineering firms, just engineering marketing, marketing for engineering firms. And we did. And then the oil price crashed in early 2015. <laughs> and, uh, but the coolest thing we did was we actually went to our CEO. Um, we were going to tell him we were going to quit at the end of June, but then he was like, guys, I'm going to send you to this pipeline course. And the pipeline course was like eight grand in like early June. And I said to Hussam, we looked at each other. We're like, there's no way that we can, we know we're going to quit in a month go to this course for a week, take like $16,000 of company money to do this course and then leave. So we were put on the spot and we had to tell the boss that and we said, Tony, we're going to start our own marketing company. 
And uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd be our first client. And we took them as our first client. Wow. Actually. Because we said, we'll be, more pow- we'll be more powerful working together. It's a really cool story, right? Yeah. That, it, sounds, uh, it sounds like you're turning... It's like you, you're... Not only were you not burning a bridge while you left, you were like building a new one that was stronger. That's, but yeah. oh wait, you haven't said the rest of it. What, what happened? What do you mean what happened? Like, he said yes. Like, oh, okay. And then you started marketing for him, basically. Then we were marketing. I said, look, it'll be... Hussam's like, I never liked the selling the software. I don't want to do it with this company. He's like, I want to work with Steve on the marketing. We're really good. We work together. Just give us Steve's salary, but pay it out to our company. So at the time, I was making five grand a month, which you know, after tax is like 3700 now we were getting a check for fifty two fifty a month, which was plus $250 GST, right? And then Hussam and I basically, we lived off that while we grew our company for like eight months. Right. Um, and that was the marketing. And then we just dabbled in a lot of different industries. We got working with some lawyers that was great, um, paid well. And and then, yeah, the, the idea came probably two years into the marketing company that our biggest thing was that we're like, hey, we're just, we're helping grow other people's companies and we're getting paid to do it. But at the end of the day, we want to work towards something that's ours, just focus all of our marketing on and grow something that is ours. So then that's how we, we, we came up with Hustle Call. We're like, yeah, we want to do this. We want to have a co-working space, all that, you know? I, I know um, exactly what that feels like because I went in for a, like it was a three hour shift at a place at a retail store um it's all it was a deli and as i was working there i was thinking i hate this not because i hate the actual job but because the benefits that come from working here are not going to me like you have to work at something that you don't want to do but it's you're not building your own self up you're building someone else's yep. business up and it i i see what you mean there but you ended up spreading this marketing job to not job. You ended up spreading quadruple, quadruple out and getting different. Um, don't like you went from engineers to lawyers. Any other groups? Engineers to like, hey, let's not. Let's. We always went through like a rebirth, which was like kind of like a pivot, which was like we're like, yeah, engineering is a big industry. Like, <laughs> you, like that's just. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Just inexperience. Right? Really? Where you're like, we're marketing for engineering companies. Man, like chemical engineering is so much different than like civil engineering is so much different than mechanical engineering. Like just because we knew a thing or two about oil and gas processing software doesn't mean we know anything about temporary building structures. Right. So like we, we tried pitching this, uh, you know, um, they, they do like clear span buildings and stuff. And, uh, you know, we what just, are they? sorry, clear span buildings, clear span buildings. So like, uh, that, that would be, see, I don't even know what it is, but it's like, you know, when they set up the Cowboys tent in Calgary, like it's a big temporary structure, like sure. the Cowboys tent, sure. Something, a company that does that builds and makes those things. Got you. And we pitched them and you know, I'm thinking like that was, we, we thought that was like the niche, but at the end of the day, there's so much in the engineering industry. It's not just oil and gas. There's, it's basically just applied science in general. And we found that what we were really striking a chord with, with the clients that we had was on content marketing and inbound. So producing like valuable, kind of like this, like a podcast, you know? Um, and then we, there was, did you hear that? Was that my phone that gave that notification? Got it. Silence it. Okay. Sorry. I didn't hear. I didn't hear the notifications. So you're good either way. I just don't want anyone to call me when this is happening. You know, I wonder what iPhone would do. It knows it in a video call. Well, look, um, I can edit it out. No worries. <laughs> uh, so, um, content marketing was and inbound was where you content started the court. Yeah, and we were working with this one company, and they were. Um, they were like an engineering company. They did like water filtration systems and everything for industrial applications. We got into that company because actually the uh, main sales guy or one of the managing direct, not managing director, but he was a project engineer there. 
we went to school with. So mm. he's like, yeah, boys, come on in and pitch my company. So <laughs> it's like a McGill reunion, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then we, uh, we went in and uh, we, we did a ton of blogging for them. And we got them from like one inbound lead every three months to like the best we did once was like 19 inbound leads for like silicon carbide membranes. And we got them to the top of Google. Like the first two results were that company. We had just like 70 blog posts, like silicon carbide membranes for removing iron particles, uh, silicon carbide membranes for this, this, all these different applications, right? And, um, and then one of the, and we always did have heroes and interns help us out. Our first intern actually was a froshy. Like, so if you're familiar with frosh, it's like a orientation week at university. Mm-hmm. So Hussam and I were frosh leaders, oh, okay. <laughs> of course, in the engineering department and, um, one of our froshies. So like she was a few years younger than us. Like she approached us. She's like, Hey guys, like I'm in Calgary. I'd love to work for you. Like, even if it's for free, I just have nothing to do. Like, and she actually worked with us like in the home office in the basement, which was where we first started the company. Like Hussam and I were sharing a one bedroom basement. I was on an air mattress for four months, (laughs) like in the same bedroom as him. Uh, it was like true, true hustle, true entrepreneurship. And we, um, yeah, that was the, one of the first interns we had. And then one of the, one of the first persons we actually hired and started paying was, was, uh, a guy named Praneet who we also went to school with. He's, uh, and now he's like on Netflix, believe it or not. Really? So he's kicking ass because he was working with us out of the home office. And I like to talk about the story because he was working at Best Buy. Uh-huh. as an engineering grad and he was doing well in sales there. He's like, yeah, I'm like sales manager. I'm like, Praneet, you're working at Best Buy, dude. Come work for us. So I was like, yeah, man, like you won't make as much as Best Buy, but you'll be working in engineering. You can meet some cool people in the industry and you can pursue your acting kind of like on the side, like we're flexible, you know? And then he went and he auditioned and he got the role for Jekyll and Hyde in um, the Shakespeare Theater Company. And then he... I don't know if it was Shakespeare, one of the, one of the ones, but then he worked his way up. Now he's in Vancouver and going between Vancouver and Toronto. Okay. And, uh, so I, I like to think that, you know, you kind of inspired him to like, get out of, get out of Best Buy, get into something that offered a little more opportunity, you know? Yeah. Although he didn't end up in content marketing, I think because of the flexibility he had and we really pushed him. We said, man, you're a great actor. You're a great singer. Like you got to do it. Um, and he's fantastic. Awesome. So, um, yeah, no, I, I could talk about this stuff forever. So keep, keep oh. me on track, man. Before we go on to another one, I wanted to ask you, when you were working for an engineering company in the marketing mm-hmm. position, you said that the marketing manager shut you down often. What was one, one yeah, thing the, that you did that, that he or she shut you down for? VP corporate sales. He was, if you're familiar with the the disc personality profiles, if you're not, he was basically a a high type C on the disc personality. So like those types of people are like, everything is wrong. Nothing is ever right. It was never like, Oh, that looks good. It was always like, that could be a little bit better. You know, like Mm. it was very negative and it was, you know, we'd, we'd work hard and wouldn't be acknowledged for it. And that was, that was kind of the biggest thing. I can't think of a specific time when he would, Oh yeah. So I ordered, I ordered these reusable promotional bags <laughs> and, um, you know, I did my research like an engineer would. Like, I'm like, I hate those flimsy shopping bags where the handles rip. Mm-hmm. So I saw one that was like double reinforced. I was like, man, this thing can fit like six heavy bottles of wine. Like, it's a good bag. It had a cool Chevron design on it. And it looked awesome. And like, they came in and people were like, oh, these are awesome. Like, they they hold their shape. And then James just came along He and he opened up the bag. He's like, it doesn't fit a six pack. <laughs> like that was That's the first it. thing about it, you know? And he just made you feel really worthless and not smart. Although he did looking back, a lot of the things he was kind of right about on some of the things, mm-hmm. you know, but he just, I remember he, and he was a control freak. What also, what, this is what really bothered me. So 
there was a conference in Oklahoma and there was a conference in Texas. And uh, Tony, the CEO, was like, yeah, just take the boys. And then James was like, I'll take one to Oklahoma. I'll take one to Texas, right? Hmm. So I got, I got to go to Texas, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, like, he was like, I was checking the flights. I was like, hey, James, like, instead of me coming back on, like, leaving on a morning flight, I, I'm not the type of person to leave on a morning flight. I was like, I'll leave Tuesday night. I talked to the American office. I can stay with Andrew. Like Andrew was like, yeah, man, come on down. Stay with <laughs> us. We'll, we'll show you the office. Like they were friendly. They were Americans. They're like, right. stay here. And then the other guy was like, uh, his wife, Tara, she's like, oh yeah, I'll make you some good, like Southern cooking. Like they were, they, they wanted me there. Right. And then, and then I was like, okay, then I can stay into the weekend. And I found a cheaper flight with a, and I didn't want to fly United because I just don't like United. I'd rather fly it was Southwest or Delta. And then I was like, James, I found a cheaper flight. I want to take this one. He's like, well, you'll be gone for three more days. I was like, I know. I'll work out of the American office. I think we should work on improving our relationship with the American office because that's where we're getting all the sales right now. Mm-hmm. And no, he didn't listen. He booked me on his stupid red-eye flights, leaving at 6 a.m. on the day of the conference and coming back at 6 a.m. the day after the conference. So at the time, I just remember getting so drunk and it's 3.30 in the morning and I was like, I got a flight in two and a half hours. <laughs> and I was like, I went in the shower and I can't believe I'm saying this, but like I sat down like in the tub, I swear to God, man, and I like dozed off and I woke up and it's like 4.30. I'm like, holy shit. And I like got ready in like 10 minutes and like I ran down James is like you're late I was like like, we just caught our flight but man I I think I was just so upset at how he didn't give me the freedom to go make inroads with the American office and I loved the American office and this conference was it was fun because like Americans were just like yeah man come up to our hospitality suite we're hand rolling Cuban cigars we've got like they had fun things going on, you know, and James was just like a real stickler. Mm. And that really bothered me that he didn't book that flight for me. And he wanted me to fly with him and I had to sit next to him and I had to carpool with him to the airport. Like that's the kind of control freak stuff I don't like. I had to get on a red eye at 6am. I don't like that. I had to fly United. I certainly don't like that. So, so all of those things combined. And then you just thought, (laughs) okay, fuck this. We're going to start. That's just the surface. Right, right. Okay, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and so then. And, yeah, yeah. Keep going, keep I'm going. just thinking of another pretty good story. Okay, you have to say it but, now because you've brought it up. Well, it's the one that I wanted Hussam to say, but it's like, you know, we had worked where we're like, okay, one of the best ways that we can help this company is if we do instructional videos because people call our tech support and our tech support got bogged down with like, I'm trying to like add this, you know, reactor or this. So. Hussam and I thought it would be best to have a meeting with the support team and the head of support and start talking about doing these potential videos. And we were meeting and we were talking about the videos. We're like, yeah, we want it to be short format, like one minute. Instead of 60 minutes of garbage, just take 60 minutes and split it up into a minute each. And then James like came in and was like, why are you guys meeting without me? We're like, oh, we're just, we're getting support videos done. Right. And he's just, he's the VP corporate sales. Like it was not under his like mandate uh, in tech support. And he had a bit of an issue, I think with the guy that was lead on tech support. So, and then I don't know, then he got, he got angry. He was rude to Hussam. And then, I, and then he went in and, he, and the VP corporate was talking to the CEO at the time in the office. And then I heard Hussam like barge in and he was like, I was just trying to help. You know, like right. you can't see this, and we, you could like hear him from the other end of the office, like yelling. Yeah, he's like, and then the CEO at the time was like, "Boy, uh, Susan, simmer down, simmer down, boys, let's go, let's let's relax, let's go, let's go to Jameson's, let's have a beer." So the, C- <laughs> the CEO brought us out and had a beer with us, and was basically like, um, "Yeah, you know, he can get like that, but you know, I know you guys are just trying to help, you know, just." Just let let more or less like let it go, like calm down type thing. So it was just really funny. I, I, I don't remember all the specifics, but 
I just do remember like sitting at my desk and hearing from like 40 feet away, like who saw him shouting. <laughs> right. Like, oh man. Right. <laughs> Sticking up for himself, which was important. Yeah. It's so. That sounds like a nightmare to me. I, it, it really sucks the most when you try and do something positive and helpful that you know will be helpful and that you know other people will find helpful and then it gets shut down by someone who feels yes. threatened by it perhaps or, or just losing. Yeah. They can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. Right? It, they can't see the bigger picture. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so where was I? Uh, okay. So this Hussam guy who you've been yeah. working with for a bunch of years now or bunch of months now you guys start a new company uh it's marketing you're helping engineering firms you're helping law firms yes um and then you decide to take on interns uh i was one of them Uh, and then i left and then hussam's visa ended or his time in mm-hmm. Canada, because the Canadian government didn't recognize that entrepreneurial work and starting a company counted as, as job experience. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky. I'll quickly run it down because now I'm an expert in business immigration. But when you graduate as a foreign national, you have a three-year open work permit where you can work for any company, any employer, do whatever you want. You're basically have the same rights as a Canadian citizen. You just can't vote. You only have that for three years though. However, what a lot of people do, they graduate from engineering, they get a job for one year of continuous work experience. Then they got enough points to apply under express entry. Hussam quit his job at 11 months. He was one month off the one... That was just dumb planning. So I guess looking back on it, and this is the first time I ever realized this, Eugene, if we weren't honest and we would have gone to that pipeline course, if we were dishonest people, we would have worked at the company for another month. He would have had 12 months. He would have got express entry, PR drawn like that. They would have had no problem with the employer reference letters. But it has to be one year continuous, and they're very strict on that. And then, so then he had two more years on his open work permit. We started a company, and then we're like, oh no, we can't issue him a work permit because he owns half the company. So there's some nuances to it. Mm -hmm. But we got him an owner-operator element, which I ended up giving him 1% of the company. So he actually owns 51% of the company. I own 49. We sweet-talked the lady from Service Canada, basically explained the situation, said, look, we want to grow this hustle code thing. We want to do this. We have interns. We've done, like, check out our social media. Within three days, we got an LMI approved man and i don't know if that means anything for anybody but right now it takes 120 days pre-covid to get an lmia approved and we just called and we were persistent and we were honest and we shared a business plan we said please please like he's gonna have to leave you know like we've built this we have a big dream what's an lmi lmia is a labor market impact assessment so it stands for like Basically, if Basically, you've contributed so, to the economy, then you're, you're good. That you're not stealing jobs from Canadians and you have a better chance of transferring your skills and creating jobs, which Hussam has, in fact, created jobs, yeah. right? So yeah. um, that, and then he had that for two years, right? That was from 2016 till 2018, mm-hmm. the end of it. But he's, uh, during that time, he applied for his PR, but English exam expired then they didn't recognize work. They don't recognize self-employment as work experience. That was a big one. We didn't know that. Then got him a start of visa nomination. They still rejected that work visa application from inside Canada. We attempted a flagpole at the border September 5th. What's a flagpole? And they gave him five days. Flagpole is when you have the LMIA. So you have the approval from the Service Canada that you are not negatively impacting the Canadian labor market. So you should be given a work permit and you can apply online and it'll take immigration three to five months to refuse or accept your LMIA, or you can just go to a border and make a case at a border. Right. And that's called flag polling. Gotcha. Now we, we did a risky flag poll because he was out of status and we only had to start a visa nomination and we went to Carway, which our immigration consultant advised us. He's like, don't go to Carway. They're cowboys there. <laughs> they won't know how to process. Like, they're on the border between Alberta and Montana. He's okay. like, go to Vancouver. They're more 
you know, cosmopolitan, they'll understand startups and this and that. And we went there and basically they gave him five days to leave the country. He had to, he had to submit his ticket of departure and fax it to them. He had to get walked, escorted by a CBSA officer at the airport. It's horrible, like reliving through all this stuff. Two months later, he managed to come back because we got the work visa approved from outside the country. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that was stressful. That was a big, big, I big, remember, big stressful. I remember on your Instagram page, you said that you were doing a road trip to Vancouver. That was probably it, right? That was, when was the road trip to Vancouver? We did a few road trips to Vancouver. We went with the immigration consultant actually in Vancouver in July. We did some marketing work for him. Oh, okay. um, but we had, no, we had actually, we had flagpoled September 5th and then it was just sad. It was just awful because the last, like, there was always that weight over our shoulders, like waiting for his immigration, waiting, waiting, waiting. And he's like kind of out of status. And when you're out of status, like you don't have healthcare coverage, you can't renew, like he couldn't renew his registration. I had to register his vehicle for him under my name, like just really obtuse um, bureaucratic legislation that yeah. uh, led to all that, but well, you're good now, right? Yes, yeah, he's got his work visa and his PR is in processing, his permanent residency. I can't see any reason as to why they would refuse it. Um, again, sometimes it just seems like there's 7.7 billion people in the world, okay. And only 350,000 make it to Canada every year. I've done the math on that. That's like 0.0005% or whatever. Everybody wants to come to this country. It's a fantastic place. It's highly competitive as a result. So sometimes I think they just they just see someone and they're like, we don't want him here. I, I, I don't know how they... It's because really arbitrary. It's arbitrary, but there's also some kind of you know, bias because one of the biggest reasons they use to refuse a visa for student visas, which makes me heartbroken is like somebody gets in somebody from that. I'm working like at the firm. This is about a year ago. They, they were from uh, Zimbabwe. They got accepted into a master's program at like Waterloo university. Okay. Serious. Got re- got, got rejected because they said, we're not convinced you're going to return to your home country. Basically saying, we think you're going to stay here illegally. And I'll be honest with you, Eugene, I've looked at the stats and 95% of Kenyan study visas are rejected. Like if you're in sub-Saharan Africa, like 90 plus percent are rejected. And if you're in France, only 6% are rejected. 94% of student visas from France are accepted. 95% from Hong Kong are accepted. You know, because they say, well, we're convinced they're going to go back to France because in France they have free healthcare. Da, da, da. They just use it as kind of like an arbitrary excuse, you know? Yeah. Plus, you could also say there's probably a ton of applications from those populous countries, like especially Nigeria. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just, you, the rejections, and I see it working at the immigration firm, they just don't make sense. They just don't. You're like, how did this person, like, masters, like, they're doing a postdoc or it's just, it doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. So it is kind of like, yeah, there's some justice, but at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's scary. It really is in their hands. And you don't, if you're not a Canadian citizen, you don't have charter rights. You have charter protections. Right. So you can't just be like, Hey, I'm entitled to this. No, you're not like you don't have, the same rights as a Canadian citizen or PR. Right. So, so it's kind of scary. What kind of things do you, if you were, what's his name? I think it's Ralph Goodale who's in charge of borders. But if you were the guy in charge, the minister in charge of borders, what stuff would you change about your system? How would you change the system? Borders and immigration are different departments. I think you're thinking of CBSA maybe? Sorry, I'm thinking but, about immigration. Mm-hmm. Oh, immigration. So I think it's Mario Mendocino is the, uh, the, the minister of immigration, liberal minister. Okay. It used to be Ahmed Hussein before, who 
I tracked down with Hussam. He was at an event for Kent Hare and we, we went there. We're like, oh, man, we need to talk to you, man. And he ran away, man. Ran away in uh, his car. That's another funny story. Um, uh, what happened? Because this is actually a great story. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this. So, you know, I was, this is before Hussam got deported. So this is like end of August. And we're like, his work permit hadn't been approved. And we went to this fundraising event with like Kent Hare and Ahmed Hussein, the, the uh, ex-minister of immigration. And he's talking about how Canada is a wonderful place. And then he's like, okay, pictures. And then Hussam and I go up to get a picture with Kent Hare and Ahmed Hussein. Yeah. You know? Um, and uh, we're like, hey, we just need to talk to you after, man. Like about, he's, he's like, oh, leave it with my manager or whatever. Sure, he gets a lot. There was a, there was a lot of... Um, East Africans, you know, Eritreans there right. that, you know, they're, they want to go petition him and ask him about something and everybody got their pictures. And then I was watching and then I'm like, Oh no, he's not. I, I saw him go in the gold slip out the back door. I was like, no, no, no. So and me and then like five other guys, like, uh, these East African guys, they all like ran outside and then I ran out the back door and then they're all like, trying to talk to him and he's like getting in the back of the car, back of this BMW. And he has a driver like ready to go. Like he was ready to just dip. Right. Right. And I was like, all these guys are banging on the windows and trying to talk to him. I was like, I'm just going to stand in front of the car. So I went and I stood in front of the car. I was like, stop. And the guy couldn't move. And the guys were banging on the windows. And then something triggered in my head. I'm like, wait, you're like, Standing in front of a minister of the government, yeah. like this could be possibly stupid. So I got out of the way of the vehicle and then he started accelerating. And then I was running next to the BMW in this alleyway, <laughs> man. And I'm like going close to it. And then he would hit the brakes a bit. And I was like, should I just like jump in front? Like, this is how willing I was to keep Hussam in the country at this point. And then I was like, no, no dumb idea, dumb idea. So, and then he, he peeled away and then. That was it. And I went back and I was all out of breath. He sounds like, what happened? I was like, I just teased him, man. <laughs> right, right. So, I don't know. I was, you know, I was really frustrated. I was really, really frustrated. That was an uncertain time. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I did, I did not stand in front of the car for too long because I was like, yeah, it's not smart. Like, right. <laughs> he is, like, where you live in a free country, but he, probably has some power some security yeah. you know like it, it could be maybe some kind of immunity um so what would i do is the question um what would i do differently I, well i know the programs pretty well now um just being involved in immigration what i would do is i would encourage i would encourage more uh, economic and investment immigration. I know people would ask, well, why? Well, I, this is what I said to my buddy, Chad, you know, Chad, I said, you know, one of the smartest ways that we could bring, you know, green technology to Canada or whatever it would be, Hey, if you invest $2 million in green technology, we're going to attract the best and the brightest from around the world. And we're going to offer them permanent residencies. If they invest this much money and they hire three Canadians, like you make an investment program. The United States has one, the EB-5 program. And it's a phenomenal program because you have to invest 1.2 million US dollars. You have to create 10 American jobs and they follow up in ten or two years if you did actually fulfill that. Because they don't just want you buying a hotel building and making some right. cash off that or whatever in real estate investment. They don't want passive. So I think we could have some more tailored programs that are like import the best and the brightest entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs, smart talent. Jason Kenny's got some really good, you know, platforms in his platform. He put it out. He hasn't brought in the legislation yet, but it's basically, basically taking the smartest from Silicon Valley and those who like studied at Ivy league schools and cannot immigrate to the United States come to Alberta, mm. you know, uh, steal the best talent from around the world. That's what I'd like to see our immigration. And I'd like to see things processed faster. I can understand security concerns, 
But man, like if you need to hire a foreign worker, it's like a six to eight, 10 month process sometimes. And that's just, that's not at the speed of business. Right. It really isn't. And like when Hussam and I were, you know, working on deals for hustle call and this, and then, you know, oh, he can't technically work. And the guy at the border like threatened him because he signed a document during that time. Like it's, it's a dumb way of thinking. Like you can't just put your life on hold for six months to wait for something to process. One thing I would say is expedited processing for money. Like it sounds, well, that means the rich people get things processed faster. I see it as a way to support the system, right? Because... Instead of, we could have spent $5,000 on Hussam's work permit application, get it in 10 days. That money goes to the government. Great. I disagree with it, of course, but <laughs> at least, at least the government, you know, gets the five grand. Whereas in this case, it was like a $2,000 one-way ticket to Jordan. Cause we had to get it in like 36 hours. Yeah. I lost his labor here for two months. You know, we lost members at Hustle Co. Like I was struggling to keep up with everything on my own. So we suffered damages that like we could have offset with just a $5,000. We need this to the top of the pile now. And in the United States, they have that. You can get a visa in 10 days. With, I think it's 1500 US dollars. So I would say, yes, paid priority processing is important. Sometimes it's like when I see a super visa get rejected, okay, this is what, this is the kind of, these are the people that it affects. Parents from Pakistan wanting to witness the birth of their first grandchild, right? Because their daughter is in Canada and they need to apply for a visa to come to Canada. Well, they didn't get it processed in time and they actually got their super visa refused. So they missed the birth of their grandchild. Like that is, that, that's where, you know, paid processing kind of makes sense, you know? Like that's a very important moment for them. They want to be there. They want to support their daughter with the, you know, the birth of her new child and, you know, because of processing timelines and then they got refused for it because they didn't have enough money and they didn't think that they were going to, you know, they were going to stay illegally in the country. It's stupid. It's really dumb. So do you, uh, you know, so I would, I actually, I would, re I would remove that reason. We don't believe you're going to leave the country. I'd say, you know, find a way to make sure that they do leave the country you know, have like an accountability thing. Like, you know, sure, you can come to this country, but we need to make sure that you leave in 20 days, book a non-refundable return ticket. We need to catch you. Otherwise you become a criminal or you need to wear this bracelet that tracks you like whatever, maybe remove some of their freedoms, but don't just ban them outright from wanting to visit the birth of their grandchild. Like right. that's frustrating to me. Right. Or perhaps offer that option. Although it does sound dehumanizing, but at the same time, <laughs> yes, tracking it with the face. <laughs> it's better than it's like it's like uh, the insurance companies that say, "Hey, you can put this computer into your car on your onboard man onboard management, and it monitors your driving. If your driving's good, we'll give you a twenty five percent reduction in your premium. If your driving's not good, your premium will stay the same." And then it's like people saying, "Well, you know why." I don't want them spying on my driving, but like they're providing you with the insurance. You don't have to, you can opt in to, to have this little tracking device in your car that measures the RPMs and the speed, right? Actually, so it's the same, same thing. Actually, interesting Sorry. enough, when I was doing my thesis on data protection, one thing I read was above these programs. And they said, like, if you're a good driver, they worked super well for you. But if you're a bad driver, you're going to refuse to have that put into your car. But if you're a driver who just cares about privacy and doesn't want it into your, in your car, even if you may be a good driver, they will assume that you are a bad driver and keep your premiums up or, or you will be penalized for it either way. And I think that the same logic could apply to this immigration case where either you're going to you're, you're going to stay illegally in the country or you're not. If you're going to stay illegally yes. in the country, no, it's too, too late in the, e in the day for this. But, but <laughs> do you see what I mean? No. Okay, I, hold I, on, hold I on. 
I, I think I kind of do. I, I, I say, it, okay, coming to this country regardless is a privilege, and right. I acknowledge that. And because it's a privilege, you may have to sacrifice some security or some rights. Like, for example, I know that if I go to you know, Saudi Arabia, I'm not going to go during Ramadan and be drinking a beer in the street while eating and wearing shorts and cut off sleeves. Like, that's just something, well, I'd, I'd go to jail for that. But <laughs> You'd be flogged. I'm not compl- I would be flogged. You'd be flogged. I'd be killed. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, that's how they want to run their country. Fine. Do I disagree with it? Absolutely. But it just means that like capitalism, I'm going to vote with my dollars. I'm not going to go to Saudi Arabia. I have no interest of ever visiting that country. Yeah. So I think it's like, it, it, I still acknowledge that it is a privilege to come to this country. There's 7.7 billion people around the world. We need to have sustained immigration, one that is, you know, can keep up with our market. And that's how I see things now with COVID high unemployment. Everyone's like, close the borders. That's the, how people immediately think like silly, let's close the borders because they're stealing our jobs. No, they're the ones that are like picking the fruit in the Okanagan Valley. And they're the ones working in the kitchens because Canadians don't want to work for $15 an hour in a hot kitchen. Yeah. But they're willing to do it to get their PR and they've got the work ethic. So no, they're not the problem. And what I would also do is say, we're going to allow even more job creators, job creators and somebody who's going to has a branch company in India that manufactures textiles and they want to start manufacturing textiles in Canada, by all means, come on in, hire people, build the machines, you know, raise capital, make it happen. That's, that's how I see it. I see it as an abundance thing. Steve, give me five seconds. My battery is at 25% and I just want to save what we've recorded so far, just in case. Okay. Anyways, um, Trump, contrarian, um, et cetera, et cetera. What contrarian? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I remember when I did my 72 questions with Stephen Hussam as part of my work at the internship at Hasselco, I asked you one question, which was, um, what do you think about Donald Trump? Something like that. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I like him. He's provocative and he says what's on his mind. Um, but now that you've gone through the whole immigration um, cotton gin, I will destroy your soul bureaucracy, um, do you still have any uh, the same affection for him? I think I'm, I don't want to overstate your case for him, but what, what do you think about, and that's the only contrarian position I really know you to have. Uh, what other positions have you had before? Donald Trump, I'm a libertarian. I ran against Stephen Harper in 2015. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. I ran for, I ran for, yeah, I ran for the Libertarian Party of Canada in 2015. So yeah, so some contrarian positions. I used to be a hardcore anti-theist in university, like oh. anti-religion, you know? But I've calmed down <laughs> since because I realized that I was being just as narrow-minded as religious fanatics by yep. being by being so I was like hold something just hit me one day where I was like I'm being just as close-minded by discrediting religion so I I've kind of just become spiritual now at this point um and I I think there is things out there that we don't know and the unknowns but so I I came out to Alberta started a company and then I don't know I just I went to the Libertarian Convention in like 2013 in Ottawa. Okay. Because I was in Montreal. Went just a bunch of crazy guys in the party. It's hilarious, man. <laughs> like they're all they've been fighting for marijuana legalization since <laughs> like ni- 1970. You know, like these guys are like old school hippies. Like they're good salty earth people. Then there's the kind of the the gun nut guys, but you know they're. It's it's a weird party for sure, but you definitely meet very interesting people there. Right, and and I always I always aligned, and I came to that realization in, in university was yeah I was kind of socially liberal, fiscally conservative, and I fit most into the libertarian mold. Now I'm just like I don't even like to identify with any party politically. I I because I don't like people putting labels on things. You know, I think that I have different issues. There's things I like Trump about. There's things I don't like him about. It doesn't make me a Trump supporter. 
Do I think that he's better than Hillary Clinton? Yes. Do I think he's a better leader than Joe Biden? A hundred percent. Do I think that, you know, he tried to make peace with North Korea and everything? Yeah. Like I think he's not a bad guy. And there's a lot of negative media attention about him. Like, oh, he puts kids in cages when someone told me that. And I'm like, like Obama built those cages. Like, um, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, people, like, what would you do if a, a single dad with his three kids was driving drunk in a minivan and he got pulled over by the cops? Like, what are the cops going to do? They're going to separate the dad from the kids. The dad's breaking the law. He's driving drunk. They're going to put him in a jail cell. Hopefully, don't put in the kids in the same jail cell as the dad, but they're going to have to put the kids in some kind of holding area. Mm-hmm. which is essentially what happens when people illegally cross the border and like being split from their parents. It's like, well, there's a difference between minors and, you know, adults. And you wouldn't want them all in the same like drunk tank type thing. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think with the drunk driver analogy, the risk there is the drunk driver killing his children. Whereas when yes. you can still put them in the same jail because he's no longer going, unless he's sociopathic and is trying to kill his children. I think it's fine if they were all put together. And I, I, well, I haven't really looked into the situation or have been informed by any, so I don't have a very strong opinion on it. But I just feel like if you are able to keep families together, you probably should, you know? Um, you know, and I, I, I can agree with that. And I don't know much about the situation either, <laughs> to be honest with you. Right. What really just tr- triggers me about that whole thing is, this is a contrarian position I took. I went to a McGill alumni event. Like, mm. you know, I, I love supporting my McGill alumni. And I go there and it was a trivia night. And I'm at a table with like five people. Um, and, you know, it's fine. Like there's this one lady, she's like in her 40s. She's clearly hitting on me, you know, <laughs> I like... Everyone was like, they're treating me nice. I, I'm just saying that because right, right. how things progressed. But right. she, she was, she was kind of hitting on me and I, I, was I friendly. only had like, everyone was friendly. Everyone was nice. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then this one guy who, um, by his own admission is Jewish and is a lawyer, you know, said, uh, Trump is the worst president in the history of the United States. And I said, I said, whoa, whoa. I'm like, I'd be careful when I'd say worse. And he's like, no, he's literally Hitler. I was like, whoa, whoa, man. I was like, seriously? I was like, that's horrible that you would even compare him to someone yeah. who, you know, and I went on about that. I said, I can't believe you would say that. And then everyone was just like, but he puts kids in cages and duh, he's a racist. He's Islamophobe. And I was like, what is going on? And they shunned me, man. I swear to God, the rest of the trivia night, I was like, no, no. And I was trying to tell this guy, I was like, no, man, honestly, I was like, like, can't we? And then the one guy's like, no, no, let's just talk Canadian politics. Okay, can we talk? I was like, no, we're talking about Trump. Yeah. We should be able to have a reasonable conversation. We are all McGill alumni. We're all smart. Oh, you're obviously not that smart. No, like, <laughs> Go, they're attacking me, man. And then I was like, no, no, seriously. Like, how can you even compare him to Hitler? Like, Obama actually has sent more bombs and missiles on countries than Trump has. Like, (laughs) Trump actually pulled soldiers out of these countries. Trump, like, he's not a war hawk like some of the other presidents have been. And the guy's just like, you need to stop talking right now because I'm really starting to not like you. That's exactly what he said. Like, he just... (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is, I was so mad, man. I sat through the rest of the trivia night and like, they just ignored me. The lady stopped hitting on me. (laughs) They all ignored me. And I went to the alumni guy after who I'm a good friend with. He ran for politics. He ran for the Alberta party. I said to myself, Omar, I said, what's wrong, man? I said, one thing, one thing that maybe Trump wasn't, maybe you shouldn't compare Trump to To Hitler, a dictator. To, to Hitler. Yeah. You know, it's not fair to the 50 million people that died as a result of World War II or the 7 million plus, you know, Jews that were killed, whatever. Yeah. It's just not, it's not a fair comparison. And well, it is what it is, Steve. And then I came home and I wrote an angry article about freedom of speech, expression, and this and this. And I should share it with you because it's only about 80% of the way. It basically just talks about how disgusted I was that 
they couldn't even have a reasonable conversation about the leading, you know, figurehead in the United States. Like, it's a reality. Get over it. He won. Hillary lost. But he's not as bad as, like, the media makes him out to be. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, crass, rude, very rude person. And I find his delivery quite funny how he treats world leaders or the media, the press. But I love that he's part of that bullshit establishment that kind of fake diplomatic I, I like i just don't i don't like that like mm-hmm. i just when i when i hear trudeau speak i just i see it's just lying through his teeth you know yeah it's 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 he doesn't care it's whereas you know at least with trump i feel what you see is what you get yeah. and um and i probably should go back into both the Libertarian Party, but I did. I was like, yeah, I want to run in Calgary Confederation. They're like, Steve, there's a guy running in Calgary Confederation. They're like, so you can run in any of the other ridings in Calgary. I was like, I'll run in the one that Stephen Harper's in. They're like, that's Calgary Heritage. I was like, sweet. So, because, you know, I just wanted to have, and I have ballots. I'll send you one. It's uh, my name on the ballot with Stephen Harper. And, um, you know, I got 247 votes. You know, that wasn't zero, and that makes all the difference. And my parents actually live in Calgary Heritage. So when they were voting, they saw your name. So you've made an impact. <laughs> that, that, is a, that does make a difference. Um, and I, Honestly, I might have actually harassed them outside the Safeway in Woodbine or Woodbridge. Or yeah, Woodbine. Wood, Woodbine, and then the co-op there too because I – and I learned how to perfect my sales pitch because to be on a ballot, you need to get a hundred signatures from people that live in the riding. Mm-hmm. So here I am eight months new to Calgary. At first I'm like, hi, I'm running for the liberal. <laughs> They're like, fuck the liberals. I'm voting Harper. <laughs> like that was it. Right. Like they, once they heard liber, they were, they were out. Right. But so I learned how to perfect my pitch. Hey, my name is Steve. All I need is your signature for my democratic right to be on the ballot. Doesn't mean you're endorsing me. Doesn't mean you're casting a vote for me. Oh, okay. It just allows me to be on the ballot. That's all. Okay. Which party are you with? The Libertarian Party. Liberal what? Libertarian. (laughs) What do you guys believe in? Well, we're socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Okay, so what would you do with taxes? We'd like a 10% flat tax. What would you do about the legalization of marijuana? we would decriminalize all drugs. <laughs> you know, like they're just like some people were like one lady was like like the Rand Paul Ron Paul libertarian I was like so much she's like hell no. <laughs> I was like make the decision on voting day please not now just give me the signature. Yeah. But one guy like pulled me aside he's like I can't believe you want to decriminalize drugs. He's like man I spent 5 years in the can because I was doing when drugs and it's the best thing that ever happened in my life and da 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 like well maybe jail worked for you but you know <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody yeah i like to look at portugal's model treat it as a mental health problem as an addictions issue don't punish the people for using um you know and i could go on and on but i i know that first when i when it was voting day the chief returning officer she called me she said do you want to meet stephen harper i was like of course She's like, he has to vote at this polling station, right? So I was like, right on. I know he has to vote there. And she's like, I heard he's coming by around 11. So I get up, I go to the Legion. And they're like, sir, uh, are you like allowed to vote here? I'm like, I'm a candidate. I'm on the ballot. So as part of the democratic process, you can go in, Eugene, and you're allowed to ask anybody for their ID that's voting. You're not allowed to touch the ID. Okay. But you can just say, you can just say when, when you're watching a scrutineer, like check their ID. You can just say, hold on. Is your name actually Jessica? Can I see your driver's license? You can, you can verify. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm going to verify Stephen Harper's ID. (laughs) Isn't that contrarian? That's so smart. I was like, and you know, and then he comes in with Laureen and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm pretty short guy. I'm five, eight. Harper's a big guy tall guy and he's like look statesman like oh this guy's awesome right like he comes in and he's just and and then like i stood up and then like there was security there like rcmp and shit like guys with bugs in their ears and you know like strapped with with guns and everything and the guy just whispers in my ear 
don't make any sudden movements. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they had his security there. Like I, you know, he was the prime minister at the time. The real deal. And but he did. He came over to me and um, he's like, "Oh, who are you?" I'm like, "I'm Stephen Palatini." I was like, "I'm running for the Libertarian Party." He just looked at my name tag, and he looked at me and he walked away. Shook my hand though, but he just looked at me. Like almost at the level of like, <laughs> you split the vote, you uh, asshole, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But he he had a level of fear in his eyes. Like I knew that, I knew he wasn't going to win that day when I saw him. He just didn't look, he looked scared. Mm. And that was when Trudeau won. But it was nice when I got to go watch the, the, uh, and I did say to the guy, I was like, I want to verify his idea. The guy's like, don't do that. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <okay. laughs> I couldn't verify his ID, but I, um, I, I go to Eugene. You'd probably love it. Like it was when I'm watching and I see them like Harper, 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 and X on mine. It's like this person had the confidence probably be like, this guy deserves to go get 160 grand a year and represent my riding. Right. You know, if you feel like to see that next year in. Right. Um, this really sucks because yeah. my battery is at 5% now. And for the last minute, you were c- c- off like th- this. And so I have to end this now. We, oh. will, we will do part two for sure. Um, maybe sometime later this week. Do you want to get Hussam on as well or anyone else or wh- whatever? We'll, we'll talk about it. I, I, yeah, let's, let's do part two. Okay. Other than that, thank you very much for joining me, Steve. Uh, Okay, take care, Eugene. Ciao.